You are listening to You Were Made for This, the podcast to help transform your relationships into the best they can be. Welcome to You Were Made for This. If you find yourself wanting more from your relationships, you've come to the right place. Here you'll discover practical principles you can use to experience the life-giving relationships you were made for. And now here's your host, John Sertalic. Hey, thank you, Carol, and welcome back from your hip surgery. I hope I'm not violating any HIPAA laws by letting our listeners know. It's just good to, good to have you back. And hello to all our listeners, and welcome to episode 26, When You Don't Know What to Do. The four years I spent in college were some of the happiest and most transformative years of my life. It was there I was exposed to the physical sciences, social sciences, the arts, literature, and my first and greatest love, history. I learned to love learning in college, and though it's been four decades since I graduated, I still reference things today that I learned back then. Just recently, in fact, I was reminded of a very important life lesson I learned as an undergrad. It wasn't from a professor or fellow student that I learned this truth, which is so critical to emotional intelligence and relational development. It didn't come from a book or a research project or a symposium I attended. This fundamental relationship principle was taught to me by a man 30 years my senior, my friend Leon. Leon was one of two janitors I worked with in my summer work-study job as a janitor in the Fine Arts Building on campus. Before I tell you what Leon taught me, I need to first tell you about him. Leon and his custodian partner, Frank, worked from 4 a.m. to 12.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. They got to pick those hours because the two of them were good friends and they loved to fish. Every day after work during fishing season, Leon and Frank quickly ate a sandwich for lunch and then headed off to their favorite fishing hole. The closest I ever get to fishing is to dip a fish stick in tartar sauce, so I had no interest in starting work at 4 a.m. Instead, I slept in and started at 6. I loved my summer janitor job. It would be a delight for any introvert like me. The fine arts building was brand new and being summer was not heavily used. Leon himself was a large, stoop-shouldered man an inch or two taller than my six-foot-two frame. If you're familiar with the character of Lenny in the John Steinbeck play of Mice and Men, my friend Leon would be a perfect Lenny. One summer day when I arrived at work at 6 a.m., I let myself into the locked fine arts building and went looking for Leon and Frank in this huge, empty, cavernous building. I normally met them in the same location each day where they would tell me what I needed to work on that day. On this particular occasion, however, they were nowhere to be found. I kept calling their names, which echoed throughout the large, empty halls and spaces of the building, but they did not hear me. I finally found them buffing floors in one of the rehearsal rooms. They couldn't hear me because the loud sound of their floor buffers drowned out everything else. They gave me my assignment for the day, and then I asked, You know, if this happens again where I come to work and can't find you, what should I do? Leon looked puzzled, then thought for a moment, glanced over at Frank, and then smiled and said, 
Well, just do something, even if it's wrong. Just do something. He then chuckled, turned away, and went back to work. I never forgot that lesson. Just do something, even if it's wrong. One other memory I have of Leon and Frank is how they ended the work week. Every Friday, before they left work to go fishing, one of them would say to me, Hey, I'll see you in church on Sunday, if you sit by the window. My memories of Leon came back to me last week in a Skype call I had with a missionary. This missionary, who I will call Tom, which is not his real name, told me of how he and his wife had returned from their missionary service in Southeast Asia because of a conflict with some co-workers, uh, particularly two women who somehow were unable to get along with he and his wife. As we explored this issue with him, I mean, he, he was really looking for some help and understanding of what happened and what they could have done. I asked, did, uh, I asked him, I said, did anyone from your mission organization or your sending church get involved? He stammered for a bit and thought and said, well, I think they tried to, but they just really didn't know what to do. I asked him if anyone from the mission organization or sending church offered to meet with you and your wife and the other women that were uh, having this relational problem. Did anyone try to bring people together to talk over the matter and hash things out? And he said, no, no one, no one tried to do that. Well, unfortunately, that is how it usually goes. Many times we are afraid to get involved in relational uh, disputes like this because we're, we just really don't know what to do. And so when we really don't know what to do, we end up defaulting to nothing. We do nothing. And I can understand people feeling like they don't know what to do and so they do nothing because it can be scary when we hear something uncomfortable or difficult. Uh, it, it exposes our vulnerabilities. It exposes our perhaps lack of relational skill in, in helping people. But it's not an excuse. It's just not an excuse. We can't let our fear of failing to solve this problem get in the way of making an attempt to deal with the issue. I'm reminded of a passage in Scripture that actually is quite similar to this. It's found in Philippians 4, verses 2 to 3. And the Apostle Paul is writing this. He says, Now I appeal to Yodia and Sintesh, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. Well, the, the phrase true partner is also translated true companion or loyal yoke fellow. Whoever it is, we know it's a man. Some scholars even feel it's a man by the name of Sin Zygus. Well, Paul tells him to help to enter into this relational tension between these two women. He wants them to do something, but he isn't specific about what he wants them to do. All he says is, just help. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it mean to help? Paul is silent on the matter. And then it reminds me of my college days with my janitor friend, Leon, who once told me, do something, even if it's wrong. 
to illustrate the point, I have two just-do-something-even-if-it's-wrong stories. One turned out well, the other, well, not so much. So here's the first story. My wife and I were involved with a church plant years ago. We were renting a building for Sunday morning services, and our pastor was working out of his house. I'll call him Chuck. Chuck will be his name. Anyway, we had additional office space in my recruiting business, and so one day I told Chuck, I said, hey, would you want to do all your uh, sermon preparation and use our desk space for for an office? And he, he was happy to do that. So he came over, and that worked out great for a long time. And he would come down and get coffee. Uh, you know, his office was upstairs and mine was downstairs. And he would come down and get coffee and then pop into my office, and we would chat a, b- a bit. And, and one particular day, he was talking about a, a sermon that he had given uh, the, that Sunday. And he was telling me uh, two women in the church uh, approached him and were critical of the sermon. And they had an entirely different view of what he was sharing. And uh, he just kind of went on about how critical they were, which, which frankly surprised me because I knew these, these women, and uh, they were not critical by nature. They really, they really loved our pastor, as did I, as did, as did everybody. So we talked about this for a time, and I tried to explain what I thought uh, they might be thinking, but he just, he just couldn't get past this. So what am I to do with this situation? I, I was an elder at this small, small church. There was, there was just two of us. And I thought I, I needed to do something. So, so here's what I did. I, I contacted uh, the two women and told them, I said, you know, uh, Chuck is just kind of really ruminating about your comments to him. And, and they restated their comments to me, and it didn't sound like any big deal. It would just sound like a kind of a four on a scale of one to ten as far as their concern about it. But uh, it it was really troubling Chuck. And so I said, how about if uh, we all got together just to kind of talk about this in person and I'll kind of be a a referee or just try to facilitate a discussion so that so that Chuck could get a better understanding of what you're saying because I, I, I don't think he's really hearing you correctly. And so uh, they both said, sure. And so then I, I talked to Chuck and I asked the same thing and he said, yeah, let's do that. So one Sunday afternoon, uh, we met at uh, somebody's house, I forgot whose house, uh, to talk about this and it didn't go well. I, I don't remember how we started, but each of the two women got to uh, say their piece uh, about what uh, Chuck had said in his sermon that concerned them. Uh, but they were, they were very gentle about it, and I think they, they had a point to what, what they were saying. But again, it was a, it was a relatively minor point. Chuck, however, uh, really took offense, and he felt backed into a corner, uh, he got kind of loud and felt that people were being disloyal and attacking him. When my view was, uh, it was just the opposite. They were there to support him. Everybody was there to support support Chuck. We wanted we wanted him uh, to succeed, but he he just didn't see it. And so my attempt to do something, even if it was wrong, uh, didn't really help an awful lot. But, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I would have done the same thing. 
because not to have gotten all of those uh, issues out in the open, in the air, uh, people would have made inaccurate assumptions about each other. But sometimes when we do something, sometimes when we try to enter into the fray of a relational dispute, it, it doesn't go well. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't do something. It doesn't mean that we should retreat, that we should just avoid the issue. It's far better to do something in an attempt to solve a relationship problem than to do absolutely nothing. So that, that story didn't turn out well. Uh, actually, things got worse. Some people left the church. Uh, it's a very complicated situation that doesn't need to be gone over here. Um, all that to say is, is that when we do see relational difficulties, it really is important to do something, even, even if things don't turn out the way that we hope. Well, that, that's one story. A second story uh, is this. It's actually a story about uh, Janet and her mother. I, I wrote about it in, in my book, and uh, Janet was faced with something that she didn't know what to do. And let me, let me just read a, a couple of paragraphs, very short paragraphs from this particular incident. It goes like this. Elda, that's Janet's mom, uh, was a 93-year-old widow at the time with dementia, and she lives in an assisted living uh, memory care facility. On a recent visit, Elda told Janet, I don't know why I'm still alive. All the people I know are dead. There's really no reason for me to live. Well, imagine, I'm diverting from the book now, imagine what, what that did for Janet. Um to hear your mother talking like that. Well, Janet just listened, and she paused, and then she said, You know, Mom, I need you. You're my mother, and I still need you, no matter how old you are. Elda listened, and then for the fourth time in ten minutes asked, Where am I living now? And Janet answered for the fourth time in ten minutes. And then she said, Say, Mom, why don't we get in the car and go get an ice cream cone? Okay, Elda said with a smile. Now where is my jacket? With that, Elda's depression lifted, and off they went for an ice cream cone and a pleasant afternoon together. What what a beautiful thing Janet did for her mother. You know, she set aside her own frustration in having to continually repeat herself and the ongoing grief of seeing her mother descend the spiral staircase of dementia. Janet thought of what she could do to make things a little bit better for her mother by just doing something, even if it was wrong. In this case, it was right. The process of just do something didn't achieve a positive outcome in the meeting with Chuck, but it did with Janet and her mom. The point isn't the result. It isn't about the outcome. It's about the process of just do something, even if it's wrong, that matters. You know, when a relationship is in trouble and we take the risk to enter into that trouble with godly wisdom and discernment, it creates a growth opportunity for us. It becomes an opportunity to reflect the image of God well. It creates an opportunity to bring about reconciliation and healing between people. It's an opportunity dropped in our lap to develop our relational muscles regardless of the outcome. 
Even if whatever we do doesn't work, it still counts for something. By trying to heal a relationship and bring out the best in others, we'll bring out the best in ourselves. There is real freedom in our relationships if we develop the skill of do something, even if it's wrong. First of all, it forces us to ask God, what is the something I should do that would be wise and helpful? We don't want to do anything stupid. We don't want to make things worse. And we need God's wisdom to guide us. Secondly, it frees us from feeling we have to do things perfectly, that we have to get it right. Many relationship problems can be fixed, maybe not at the first go-around, but certainly if we keep at it and keep trying, things can get better. Another benefit to this do-something-even-if-it's-wrong approach to relationships is that it removes the excuse of, I didn't know what to do, because it makes us accountable. It requires us to figure out something to do. And finally, this do-something-even-if-it's-wrong approach stretches our relational muscles the more we encounter these kinds of situations. We'll try things, and even if they don't work, we'll learn from them, and we'll try again. Well, before I close, here's the main takeaway from today's episode, our show in one sentence. When faced with a relational difficulty and you don't know what to do, just do something that tries to make a positive difference. Here's a way you can respond to today's show. What relational disconnection do you see between people that you would like to see healed, but you don't know what to do about it? Enter into that disconnection, resolve that you will not retreat, and that you will do something to try and make things right. Ask the Lord for wisdom as to what that something should be, and also for the strength and power to do that something, whatever that might be. That something may even be silence or what looks like passive inaction. If the silence and inactivity are intentional and done for a reason, it can be the very something God wants you to do. But if the silence is a reaction and retreat because of fear of making a mistake, well, that's not what I'm talking about. As we close today's episode, I'll leave you with our relationship quote of the week. And it comes from Shannon L. Adler. And she says, Most misunderstandings in the world could be avoided if people would simply take the time to ask, What else could this mean? I'll say it again. Most misunderstandings in the world could be avoided if people would simply take the time to ask, what else could this mean? Well, I'm glad you listened in to today's episode. Remember in the days ahead what you were made for. You were made for life-giving, fulfilling relationships. But when they're less than that and you don't know what to do, just do something, asking God for help. We're here to show you how. See you next week. Goodbye for now. Oh, oh, and one last thing. I'll see you in church on Sunday, if you sit by the window. <laughs>